welcome to Just a Thought Podcast, episode 45. I'm Corey Tinkham. Thanks so much for joining me. Sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. These, of course, are the five senses that we are all familiar with. Most of us use one or more, all of these each and every day. But is there another sense? A sixth sense? Some scientists say, of course not, that's just all make-believe. Yet others say, well, we've done some studies that prove maybe it actually exists. Today's topic, the sixth sense. Again, and welcome to episode 45 of Just a Thought, The Sixth Sense. Now, we've all had a gut feeling. We've all maybe even had more than one gut feeling that has actually panned out and proven to be true. Whether it was just a feeling of something bad was going to happen and maybe you you didn't take that route to work and it turns out there was a big accident you know, at the stoplight you usually go to that in the mornings or whatever the case. We've all experienced that. Now, is it just coincidence or could it be something more? Well, again, science is pretty divided on this and each camp is pretty steadfast with their their beliefs on this. And it's very, very interesting because everybody can relate to this. Everyone knows that, you know, feeling you get, uh, whether it's, again, like a bad feeling, oh, I shouldn't take this flight, or when you see someone and you just know, you know, I don't, I'm getting a bad vibe from that person, I don't trust that person, or just a really good warm feeling about someone, and they turn out to be super nice, one of the sweetest people you've ever met, and your, your hunch was right, your gut feeling proved to be correct. So it's interesting that most people are familiar with that feeling. So something is happening. Now, there's there's a lot of interesting takes on this. Um, what you'll, if you ever dig into it, you'll see a lot of people say, well, you know, we make these assumptions and we have hunches all the time, but we only recognize, remember, and pay attention to the ones that just happen to be accurate. And it's nothing more than coincidence, but we ignore all the times that it doesn't pan out to be accurate or true. And our brain just forgets about it. But when it is accurate and true, then our brains, it's a big deal. And oh man, that gut feeling, maybe I'm onto something. However, it's when these feelings happen enough and are repeated enough that 
it's it's said to be a sixth sense, and there's something maybe happening here. Um, people, I, I have a friend, and we, we actually were discussing this the other night, and he is very, very, very good at judging someone just right off the bat. He can say, you know, he can't, he's not psychic about it, but he can, his gut feeling on someone has proven to be accurate so many times over the years that it, it's beyond coincidence. Um, and I think with that particular ability, I think we all have the ability to sort of size someone up when we first see them. And I believe that it's, it's leftover, um, a leftover ability from evolution. We've evolved out of having to use this ability, but I think that it's just subtle things that our subconscious is picking up on that we don't consciously recognize. We don't consciously say, oh, their body language is telling me this. Our subconscious is picking up on it and relaying it to us as this gut feeling, this old instinctual Ability that we probably used to use for survival is this this residue of that ability remains in our subconscious and is able to kind of suss out and size someone up. And that could mean their micro expressions, just micro body language, the, the way someone would carry themselves if they're if they're up to no good or whatever the case is, and your subconscious will pick up on that. I think we all have that ability, however, I do believe that some people, it's a it's a lot stronger in some people, and they're just w- way more adept at at using it and also paying attention to it. And um, and again, my friend is is one of these. He's very very good at this. And I I texted him a question. I haven't heard back yet. Um, but I wonder how many gut feelings and hunches that he's had not related to people. That have been have been accurate. I think that would be an interesting uh, number to kind of look at and see. You know, your gut feeling about um, the lottery or whatever, whatever the case is. I would I would wonder how accurate it is regarding other things. It's fascinating. So the sixth sense. I found a wonderful article uh, at PsychologyToday.com. It's a little bit old. It's an older article. But it's really fascinating. I'm going to be pulling a lot of my information from it today for this episode. And I will link to it in the episode notes. Give it a read. It's pretty fascinating. The author of the article has participated in several studies of this. And it's pretty telling, in my opinion. You know, I know it's not considered proof in the scientific community until it's replicated over and over and over again and you have mountains of data and that's good and that makes sense but man (laughs) these studies are pretty fascinating and we'll get into it now the article was written by three authors dean radden colleen ray and ray hyman and this was published in 2000 so this this article is 22 years old but it's fascinating so i'm gonna again pull a lot from it and so Dean Radden is the psychologist, Ph.D., who, who did these experiments, and man, they're good. So let's, let's jump right in. They first give an example of a gut feeling coming true or a warning, if you will, the sixth sense uh, giving someone a warning. 
And I don't know how true this little story in the article is, and I will tell you why. Um, well, I'll tell you why as we go along. They are they are referring to a university colleague, and his they only give his first name, and his first name is Alex. And it goes on to say how he is cleaning his six-shot revolver handgun in preparation for a hunting trip later in the month. Now, that's the first thing. Uh, people do sometimes hunt with handguns, revolvers maybe, but it's it's kind of rare and not many people do it. So that was kind of a red flag for me there with, with the hunting with, with a pistol. Um, but anyway, it, if you're not familiar with the way a revolver works, um, you pull the trigger and it pulls the hammer back and then the hammer gets released and it fires the bullet. Now, what happens as the hammer is pulled back, the cylinder that that holds the bullets revolves and it keeps doing this, allowing you to fire one shot after the other. Um, typically, uh, there are six shots, and that's what this was. This was a, a six-shot revolver, and it's all pretty fluid the way the mechanics of a revolver work. Now, here's the other part of the article that I, or this story that I just find hard to to believe. I'm going to read this. It says, quote, For safety's sake, Alex normally kept five bullets in the revolver with the hammer resting on the sixth empty chamber. End quote. Okay, A, that's not making it safe at all. In fact, that's very dangerous to do, so don't ever do that. If you have a revolver, keep the cylinder empty of bullets at all time until you go to, sh- to shoot the gun. Do not leave bullets in any gun. Do not leave a gun loaded. It's kind of basic gun safety 101. So what they're describing Alex doing here is keeping five bullets with the hammer resting in the empty chamber. That's not safe. It doesn't make it safer. I don't know why someone would do that. But anyway, for the sake of the story, that's what he, he normally does. So he can, normally keeps five bullets in the cylinder with the sixth chamber, no bullet, and the hammer rests on that chamber. So were you to pick the gun up and fire it, it would just shoot. It would shoot because that the cylinder would, would then rotate to the next chamber that has a bullet in it. So it's not safe. In fact, it's pretty dangerous. But anyway... He's cleaning his gun, he takes the bullets out, he's cleaning the gun in preparation for this trip, and then he goes to put these five bullets back in. He gets to the fifth bullet, and he has this really, really, really bad, overwhelming feeling of gloom and doom. Just a really bad gut feeling about this bullet. He doesn't know why, he's never had a feeling like this before, this intensely, and he's kind of taken aback. And he decides to leave this bullet out. He doesn't know why. He can't explain it. But the feeling is overwhelming. And he sits the bullet on his nightstand and does not put it back into the gun. A month later, he's at a lodge on this hunting trip with his fiance and her parents. Now, the parents unexpectedly get into this violent argument. And it's very, very just yelling and screaming, a violent argument. And the father, his, his, the fiancé's father, gets so enraged 
reaches and grabs Alex's gun and points it at his wife. Alex immediately gets in between the two of them just as her father pulls the trigger. Now that cylinder turns, the hammer falls on the chamber that would have housed that fifth bullet. But it wasn't there, so the gun didn't fire. A month earlier, somehow he knew that that bullet should not be put back in. This sixth sense apparently occurred. This is also a great illustration of why what he's doing with his firearm is not safe. I can't emphasize that enough. But the story illustrates basically how a sixth sense works. And that's the idea. So Mr. Raiden goes on to do a sort of kind of a follow-up prototype study with the editor. It kind of hints that it is the editor of Psychology Today magazine who asked him, hey, you know, do you think there is a sixth sense? And so he asked her if she would be willing to participate in a test, an experiment. And this is what, this gets really fascinating. This was a, an, an experiment using pictures that are randomly selected by a computer. So there's no rhyme or reason. The, the computer selects at random different images. Um, and so she agrees to do to take this test and participate in the experiment. So he had her sit in front of a, just a blank computer screen, and he tells her that, that she's about to see a series of digital photographs, and some of these pictures will be calm, like a lake or a nice calm scene, maybe a field of flowers or what have you, and others will be emotional, like uh, something that's maybe scary like a spider or a you know dragon or a dog snarling or something that, that is provocative and creates unease in the viewer even if by just a little bit so on two of her fingers on her left hand he attaches these electrodes that measure small changes in the skin's resistance and on the third finger he placed an electrode that monitors blood flow and he then explains to her that all she has to do is press the button on the mouse to begin and simply view the pictures. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated at all. He leaves the room, she begins to relax, and then she is comfortable and begins pressing the button. And the way the experiment works is for five seconds, the screen remains blank, and then the computer randomly selects a picture out of this large pool of photos. And again, some are calming, others are not so calming. Picture is displayed for three seconds, and then the screen goes blank again for eight seconds. And finally, a message appears announcing, you know, that she can start the next trial whenever she's ready, so on and so forth. She's able to repeat the sequence 40 times, and the experiment comes to a close. And so all the data that was collected by those electrodes... Uh, came out in the form of these these graphs, and each graph showed average changes in her skin resistance and blood flow before, during, and after she saw each calm or provocative picture. So immediately they noticed that after she viewed emotional pictures, both the skin resistance and fingertip blood flow was dramatically changed, as you would expect. Um, after she viewed calm pictures, 
the physiology hardly changed at all. There was not that much of a change in the blood flow or the skin resistance detected by the electrodes. So th this is what's predictable. This is what you would expect. So then there's this third graph, and it's a segment that shows her responses before the computer selected the pictures. So it's measuring activity before the computer randomly selects a photo to show her. So as it turns out, each time before the computer selected a provocative or uneasy photo, her activity spiked. Skin resistance and blood flow spiked every single time before the picture was shown. There's no way she could know the computer had not selected the picture, but somehow, subconsciously, she was reacting to the picture that was coming that she knew wasn't going to be a calming picture. It was going to be something intense. But how did her subconscious know? And it's fascinating. The results were pretty astounding, to say the least. And as I said earlier, the, the, we know this feeling. This is how we get that bad vibe. Like, well, I feel like something bad is going to happen. I, something's not right about this situation. Somehow we know. But what is it? How do we know? What part of our, our subconscious is picking, what is it picking up on? What is our conscious mind missing? I think it's fascinating. And so this little experiment proved it. But it's just one experiment and one person, so more had to be done. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Dick Bierman, PhD, a professor at the University of Amsterdam, had heard of the studies that or this particular study done and a couple other studies that Mr. Redden had had done along these similar lines more dealing with ESP, ESP and things like that but we'll get we'll get into that a little later so Mr. Bierman PhD University of Amsterdam conducted the same study with the pictures with the same results and more than just one subject as well then two students of Psychologist Robert Morris, Ph.D., University of Edinburgh, have also repeated the study and have found the same results again, over and over and over. So this is happening consistently. The results are consistent through all of these studies. It's amazing. So Mr. Radin goes on to talk about various things like ESP and just other kinds of psychic phenomena that could be using the same parts of our consciousness Sixth sense, the sixth sense could be a part of this, of our subconscious where all these psychic abilities live, if that makes sense, in this deep down subconscious world that's constantly, constantly observing. It's pretty amazing. Mr. Radin goes on to talk about some pretty fascinating studies that were done in the 1960s uh, by psychologist Charles Tart of the University of California. And he would measure skin conductance and blood flow and heart rates and all these different things between two people. And he would call these people a sender and a receiver. And it was a pair of people. Now, there were multiple pairs of senders and receivers. The senders would receive random electrical shocks. And they would focus on these shocks and sending 
psychically a message to these receivers. Now, the receivers in other rooms were having all of their their blood flow and their skin conductance and heart rates and all that, again, were, were being monitored. And they felt nothing, of course. They didn't feel a shock. They felt completely normal. But upon studying their physiology that was being monitored at the time, every time there was a shock, there was a significant jump in heart rate, skin conductance, blood flow, and it was consistent with these random shocks. How? How is that message being received or sent and received? Because this, these, this study was done multiple times and it, and it was consistent. I find that fascinating. It's amazing. How is that possible? A handful of other universities across the world have repeated this sender-receiver study. And they've actually seen these exact same results with receivers being thousands of miles away. How? It's fascinating. They've expanded upon these studies. They were able to uh, finally publish results in the Journal of Science. There were two psychologists that reported finding significant correlations in brain waves between isolated identical twins. And these studies had so much success, they were able to kind of coin a name to this phenomenon. They call it Distant Mental Intention on Living Systems, or D-M-I-L-S. It's amazing. Why haven't we heard more about this? Why isn't this just mainstream science? A, it's fun, and we don't know what's going on here. You would think that people would be all over it. Maybe they are. You know, maybe it's just not, um, you know, just not mainstream. Anyway, back to Mr. Radin, uh, the, the author of this article. Now, he began... His interest began in these hunches and uh, sixth sense, if you will, in the early 1990s, and he was a research fellow in the psychology department at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. And there he did some investigating and studying on the feeling of being stared at. Now, we all know that feeling too. Wow, I feel like I'm being watched, or I feel like there's someone standing right behind me. Again, I believe these are primitive instincts, residue of primitive instincts where we just, you can just feel it. We all know that feeling like somebody's staring at me. And sometimes it's a good thing. You know, if you're at a bar or whatever, and you kind of play an eye tag with someone, you know, it's a, you, you just know though you can feel it. And I find that very fascinating. Well, he did, Mr. Raiden did some studies on this and he would take two people and separate them, put them in different rooms that were a hundred feet away from one another. So one of the one of the subjects would be sitting in a room and they would have you know their electrodes connected to their fingers so their blood flow and heart rate etc could be monitored. And the other subject in the other room was able to view the first subject on a closed circuit television and was instructed to randomly at random times for random lengths of time stare at that person. Now Subject number one, who has the electrodes connected to them, doesn't feel anything different, doesn't feel anything happening consciously, and feels completely normal. However, again, same results. When, when the data was read and the results were looked at, each time that person stared at subject number one, their physiology registered this. Their heart rate went up. Their skin conductance went up, albeit 
just by a little bit in this particular experiment. And I believe that's because it was over closed circuit television. It still worked, which is fascinating. But I think if you could have done it in person, maybe have the subject number two standing behind subject number one. I, I don't know. I think there needs to be physical proximity. Maybe that plays a part. I'm not sure. Again, though, another interesting study because there's no way the person could know. So how does their body physically respond? It's amazing. So all these studies Radden did really, really brought this to the forefront in the scientific community. Even some skeptics started to take this a little more seriously because clearly something is happening here. And with the picture studies, for example, it ended up being a total of three independent labs and 200 different participants with all the same results. Now, to really dig in, you would need a lot more uh, participants and a lot more data. But hey, that's a pretty good start. And, you know, if they keep it up, you never know. We may just prove that there is a sixth sense or something that we're referring to as this mystical sixth sense. Now, the article does go into that as well and talks about, well, what if we can prove that this is real? What kind of effect will that have on society and our belief systems and our worldview? How will that affect our daily lives? And, you know, that's a good question. I think that every answer at this point is pretty subjective. Everyone has their feelings about what they think may occur with all these topics, really. But the article does a great job at illustrating something that is kind of interesting, uh, an interesting way to view the sixth sense if we could harness it or learn how to, you know, measure it in the moment. And the example they use... um, and this is pretty this is pretty interesting. They say imagine a future aircraft where all the members of the flight crew are connected to this onboard computer system. And this computer system is designed it will continuously monitor heart rate, electrical activity in the skin and blood flow, etc. And so they'll measure these things before the crew comes aboard and they will all this data will be recorded to get sort of to calibrate a baseline sort of for all of the members of the flight crew. So, I mean, everybody's physiology is a little different. So this would establish a baseline of, well, this is what it's like when this person is calm and this person is calm and this person is calm. And then they, it's, they board the flight and the, the aircraft takes off to wherever it's going, whatever its destination. And this computer system is constantly monitoring the crew members. And if simultaneously, if all these crew members' heart rates go up a little bit and the blood flow increases, the skin activity, all these baselines are now peaking at the same time, it will alert the pilot that, hey, something could be about to happen. And maybe even by that pilot, at least a couple seconds to prepare for whatever. And I thought that was a pretty fascinating idea and it's kind of true and what other ways could we use this way of monitoring our our heart rates and just other other little bits of evidence that we're picking up on something maybe you could have this is this is even crazier maybe you have an app in your smartwatch that monitors all these things 
and will alert you and say, hey, stop for a minute. Something's not right. You're out for a jog. Hey, hold up. Stop for a minute. Something's not right. It's kind of creepy, but fascinating. You never know. I mean, 30 years ago, the cell phones we have in our hands were considered sci-fi. So, well, maybe not 30 years ago. 50 years ago. Anyway, I just think it's fascinating. And the article is really good. It brought that that uh, point up, and I thought it was pretty, pretty interesting. There's a lot more to that article. Again, I'm going to link to it in the episode notes, and let me know what you think about that. Now, of course, scientists, the, the world of science, there's always the other side, and I will, I will link to this article as well uh, in lifescience.com. And it, the title of this article is simply, The Sixth Sense Can Be Explained by Science. And, you know, yes, there are hunches or subtle things we pick up on that can be explained that are um for example you might see something gosh something's different about that i feel different about that uh you see your friend i feel different about my friend not in a bad way but something's different oh you got new glasses or you got a different little haircut or something's slightly changed about you that i just didn't pick up consciously but my subconscious did and that's what was happening your subconscious is like that there's a difference here there's a difference here and you know so little things like that change blindness oh something's a little bit off something has changed can kind of give you that gut feeling that's similar to the sixth sense but it's not the same in my opinion as far as how it feels it's similar but not the same the article is pretty good it, it does take a skeptic's point of view which is always fair to do And there is certainly no shortage of the skeptical outlook on this topic if you look anywhere. Now, one thing I wanted to note before I forget, if you look back at my last week's episode, The Dead Internet Theory, I have to tell you, when I searched The Sixth Sense, I got three pages of the movie from 1999 called The Sixth Sense. Now, tell me why, Google... A movie from 1999, albeit a really good movie, dominates the first three pages of my search for The Sixth Sense. I mean, really? Because other search engines didn't do that. (laughs) Anyway, I just as soon as that happened, I thought, man, I'm going to have to remember to mention this because this is kind of what everyone has been talking about. And not just with the dead internet theory, but just the frustration with search results. They're just not what they used to be at all. Seriously, three pages about this, the movie from 1999 before I found anything. <laughs> it, was, it was laughable, really. So I just simply went to other search engines to get information. Google, yes, I'm talking to you. <laughs> anyway, this, was a, this one was interesting, and there's a lot of information uh, in the, in the um, Psychology Today article, I encourage you to read it and let me know what you think about it. Podcastjat at gmail.com. Send me an email. Let me know your thoughts. Also want to ask for any ghost stories. I'm trying to put together an episode on ghosts. And I want to, which I know that topic's been beaten down, but it's it's fascinating to me. And I think we can take an approach that's a little different. But I would like to have some stories. Anybody that's willing to share a ghost story, I don't care how crazy you think it sounds or how 
not crazy and not spooky. It's whatever you've experienced. If you don't mind to share and you want to share, please send an email. And if you're okay with me reading it, you know, on on the episode, that that would be fantastic. If not, if you just want to share, that's fine too. I'd love to get any sort of um, ghost story emails. That would be amazing. And also, thirdly, this is the year anniversary episode. I think January 13th, yes, January 13th of 2021 is when I published the first episode of Just a Thought Podcast. And I have to say, I have enjoyed this immensely. It has been so much fun. I have learned a mountain of amazing information. And it's just been, it's probably one of my top three hobbies I've ever had in my life. I really, really enjoy this. I don't make any money off of this um, yet. I mean, who who wouldn't if they could, right? Um, but I'm not making money. It's just for fun. And I really, really enjoy it. And I want to thank each and every listener, whether this is the first time you've tuned in or you've been listening since episode one. Thank you so much. I see my analytics every week after I publish an episode and I see new new cities popping up, places where people are listening, and it's really, really cool. And it's amazing. And so thank you. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. I'm trying to make it better. My schedule is really crazy, my real life schedule. So some, you know, some weeks it's, I know it's not as long or detailed of episodes, but I'm trying to to keep it good and upbeat and detailed and fresh content the this sort of genre is pretty saturated right now and i know that but um i'm really enjoying it i hope you are too i will stop rambling now thank you again so much tune in next week for another brand new episode i don't really know what it's going to be yet but i have some ideas (laughs) anyway thanks again i appreciate it and as always be well (music) 